When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Being inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thank you so much for being with me for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Uh, it's great to be back after uh, a week away. With me this evening in the studio is Allie Perlman, and Allie is the executive director of Philadelphia 3.0, which is a nonprofit committed to reforming local politics here in Philadelphia. Um, we're going to have a lot to chat about. A brief reminder, stay with us during the breaks to hear from our exec, excuse me, exclusive watch team of on-air contributors from Jefferson Hospital, Tivity Health, Pathways Consulting, Fortis Wealth, and Hanadi Shahabuddin for our Diversity Watch. And as always, be sure to visit our website at womentowatch.net and subscribe to our newsletter for all things related to the show. And you can pick up the podcast there if you happen to miss the live show on Sunday nights. So now I'm thrilled and honored to have with me Allie Perlman, again, the Executive Director of Philadelphia 3.0. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, welcome to the show. Thanks for making the trek over. Yes, you got it. <laughs> which is a nice walk down Market Street, I it guess. It was, yes, which is even better looking now as the new gallery is finally coming yeah, together. You know what? I haven't been over there to see that. I, I really uh, want to get there, and I'm glad that they're doing that. Yep. Yeah. So, listen, I wanted to start off the interview um, talking just about the fact that, you know, you have um, a very well-known family here in Philadelphia, and the legacy of your family is um, very much influential and charitable. Um, so the, the Perlman name is recognized. And not a lot of people have, you know, come from that background. And I wanted to just talk about what it was like growing up for you, kind of the pros and cons of that. And what do you remember um, most when you were a young girl about the fact that you had opportunities, perhaps that other people didn't? Um, I would say, it, you know, like a child's level of awareness of their relative level of like privilege or access is pretty underdeveloped for like most of their young life. I would say for me, it probably took until I was, I don't know, maybe nine or 10 to have like a real understanding of the fact that my day-to-day -day life and the opportunities that were available to me were substantively different than even other kids that I went to school with. Um, I also would say that my parents did, they were very sensitive to sort of the... Um, 
unusualness of the situation and were uh, pretty vigilant about making sure that my day-to-day life was typical in Mm -hmm. pretty much every way. Yeah. And so, you know, I would say that my, my ability to sort of like retrospectively comment on like how it felt to go through that is it's a little bit challenging in a lot of respects because I don't it's it wasn't like I was experiencing it in contrast to like me as the same person in a different set of circumstances I was only ever in my set of circumstances yeah, right good point and yeah. it's you know it was it's you know it was up until the point I, again when I was like maybe in like third-ish grade I didn't even think about it at all and then I thought it was probably cool and maybe different but didn't really get it and then by the time you're in high school you're like oh this is this is different from a lot of folks and it ensures that I'll have opportunities that I need to take advantage of because to be presented with opportunities and not take advantage of them will be such a waste Hmm. so how about any pressure because when you grow up in a successful family so your grandfather you know the 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 founder um, of the company um, who became successful and then was able to pass down um, through multiple generations these opportunities. Did you feel, as you got older, because mm-hmm. it's a good point about when you're young, you just, this is my life. I don't know how it's different from anyone else's. Um, any pressure that well, I need to do something great as well? Um, I would say that it, the the pressure that existed in my household, I'm an only child. It's, you know, my parents have been get to, together for almost 45 years at this point, was much more a function of their, like the expectations that they had for me as a person that were independent of any kind of family legacy. Just the sense that, you know, you have to, you have to work hard. You have to, you know, build, build a life where people will recognize you as being a person of integrity. And you have to create conditions where you're, for yourself in which your job either directly or indirectly makes the world or the city a better place. And I mean, I don't think, I really don't think that that, I don't know, again, it's so tough to sort of like think about this stuff as an adult without putting, especially as an adult who's a parent without like putting that lens on it in terms of what my experience was like when I was a kid. But it really did feel at the time, like, you know, you take school seriously, school is your job there's expectations in terms of how you're going to perform in this work that really just didn't feel connected to that. Like the family lineage, it felt so personal and immediate to like the three people who were living in our house. Hmm. So what were your own personal interests when you yeah. were grown up? What what was it you were drawn to? Um, because what you're doing yeah. today is different from what you studied. Totally. Somewhat. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. So when I was, when I, I went to Princeton and I, graduated with a degree in art history, which um, was a function of the fact that I I think I sort of felt at the time, well, number one, I had the opportunity and the privilege of majoring in something in college that I thought in all likelihood sort of like wasn't going to end up being like a pre-professional degree. So it was sort of like, I did sort of feel like this is like a last hurrah. Like this is like the last time I'm going to be able to study something and like sort of like live in the life of the mind around something that's just like deeply fascinating but probably not professionally relevant (laughs) okay and but I would say I've I've always been interested in politics and I think I always suspected that um 
like policy stuff would find its way into my work professionally, and it has. Yeah, interesting. Okay, we're going to pick up with that after we take our first break. Stay with us for Dawn Zier of Tivity Health for our CEO Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch. CEO Watch. Hi, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier here with today's CEO Watch. Today, I want to talk about building team trust. There's a good chance we spend more time with our coworkers than perhaps we even do with our own families. It's important that we trust our colleagues, but trust isn't a given. It often needs to be built and earned. There are many ways to build trust among your team, and it often involves turning work relationships into personal connections. Some ideas are very inexpensive, while others require an investment of time and money. One, one one-on-one lunches. Whether it's monthly, quarterly, or even once a year, take the time to have a one-on-one lunch with each member of your team. A more casual environment allows you to discuss things beyond work, and you really get to know one another. Discovering commonalities or shared interests lets you connect on a more personal level and ultimately leads to a more trusting relationship. Two, team competitions or field days. Nothing brings people together quite like competition. I found that by having team competitions, people are forced to work with one another and trust each other's decision making. In a team environment, you're forced to collaborate and listen to others. Three, team building exercises. One of my favorite team building exercises is escape the room. If you're not familiar with the concept, you and a group of your peers are locked together in a room and must work collectively to solve clues to unlock the door before the time on the clock runs out. Even if you don't solve all the clues and get out, it's still a great time and you've learned how people solve in different ways and you build trust. For more hardcore team building, a full day of outward bound with a large group can yield impressive outcomes. Four, offsites offering some downtime. Often the first to go when a company is watching costs are offsites. And I will say that I at times have underappreciated the benefits that a change of environment in a more casual and fun setting, coupled with formal and informal bonding time, can reap. These meetings can have a tremendous return on investment. Thanks for listening. I'm Dawn Zier here for CEO Watch. Have a great week. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. If you're just tuning in, I'm having a conversation with Allie Perlman. And Allie is the executive director of Philadelphia 3.0, a nonprofit committed to reforming local politics here in Philadelphia. I want to share a quote. I thought this was interesting. You said, after college, everyone I knew was moving to New York. But I moved to L.A. because I wanted to try something different. Um, Tell me what you were searching for at that time i mean i'd never been to california and i wanted to see what that was all about just being from the east coast it just seemed so like magical and different and um you know i just i thought that i i grew up in philadelphia in the philly, philly suburbs i went to school in new jersey 
truly, I think probably 90% of the people that I grew up with ended up in New York. And I just, I thought that there, like, there was something like more interesting to do, honestly. And I just wanted to do something that just felt like I was really stretching myself to do it. And moving somewhere that, you know, where I didn't know anyone or I'd never been to me felt like a pretty good stretch. Were you scared at all? Or you I just think so, that, but yeah. it just like, I, lo- I love taking risks. And so it okay. just felt, um, it felt, and again, how risky is moving to Los Angeles? Like not right. risky at all, right? So, but it's just Especially, like. Especially, wait, with cell phones today, you can yeah. still be connected to this your was, yes. loved ones. So this was, too, did I have a cell phone? Gosh, do people have cell I don't. I don't even remember. In 2004. 2004? I'm going to say yes. I don't I'm know that sure. I did. This, was vi- this would have been like, you know, like proto flip phone, like Nokia's maybe, yeah. I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I certainly could stay in touch with people at home. And, um, you know, when in 2007, there was this hyper interesting, super competitive mayoral race. I had my parents hook up um, this thing called a sling box, which lets you watch local TV remotely. I think the company still exists. And I had them put it connected to their TV, both so I could watch Eagles games while I was in Los Angeles, but also so I could watch uh, mayoral debates on WHYY. Oh, there yeah. you go. Football yeah. and mayoral debates. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Two interesting things. Um, so you spent some time in Hollywood working as an assistant and yeah. on some shows. Yeah. You know, as a, I'll say a lay person who knows nothing of that, t- tell me what you learned from that, you know, your time there and working with with people in that industry and what called you back to Philadelphia? Um, what did I learn working in that industry? I, I, again, because I moved out to Los Angeles really knowing nothing about anything out there. Did I, you know anyone? Not really, I, kind no. of, you know, like not, it, it just, it was to me, it, there was something so magical about how it just, it seemed so different and disconnected from like anything that like grounded my reality to that point. And, um, you know, so I did what I think most young people do who move out there and you, you know, you try to get a job in a mail room and work your way up and do the whole thing. And, um, you know, I think actually the most imp- thinking about it from the perspective of someone who's now like worked for a little while here. One of the more interesting things that I've that I that I saw when I was out there, and I think that this is actually true in a number of contexts, is that the work is really demanding. And there's just like there's a fair amount of attrition that happens. It's independent of sort of talent. That's just like folks leaving for reasons that don't have to do with whether they can cut it or not. And then folks staying for reasons that don't necessarily have to do with whether they can cut it or not. And so you have to sort of like be willing to think creatively about what kind of path you're going to carve out for yourself in order to be able to achieve what you want to achieve. Just because there are just so many people who move out there Mm. with, you know, like, with like goals for themselves and dreams. And um, you just there, you have to think, I think, a little bit creatively about how you're going to set yourself apart in that context Mm. where there's so many people. So tell me about, um, I don't know if it was a moment or over time, you started to feel this pull back to Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think in some respect, looking back, I always knew I would move home. There's like this thing that happens where Philly people just always come home anyway. And so I don't think that that's there's anything unusual about that. 
Um, but it just, you know, it was three years away. I made the decision to, to move home probably around two years away. And at that point, I realized that nothing I was doing in Los Angeles sort of resonated with me in as deep a way as just like Philadelphia as a place resonated mm. with me. And frankly, Philadelphia as a mission resonated with me. And so it felt like I took this risk, made some amazing friends, lifelong friends, and then enjoyed the weather. Enjoyed the <laughs> My weather. <gosh>. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, didn't have winter for, you know, almost three years. Yeah. And then um, it was cl- it was clarifying. It was clarifying because it made me sort of like it created the conditions under which it was unavoidable for me to say I'm moving home for a reason. That reason is in part family. That reason also is in part purpose. Mm. And, um, and it, once I, once I realized that it was sort of a foregone conclusion. So you came home and you went to Penn and got your PhD um, in communications. And I read about the dissertation that you that you did. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was fascinating. And I wanted you to kind of talk about it. Where did that idea come from? And and what was that about? Even though I don't like I don't pull at a lot of the threads that I that I laid out in my dissertation. I'll say like all PhDs, it's always just like so fun to think about the dissertation is like an old friend that you love to be able to return to. So my dissertation investigated, Oh, should we come back and talk about this in a minute? I think we should. Great. Good job hearing that music coming in. (laughs) Um, Stay with us for Dr. Marianne Ritchie for our health watch and Terry and Maggie for finance. We'll be right back with Allie Perlman. Now the women to watch health watch for health watch. I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie Halloween just around the corner. And so is flu season. Now is the time to get a flu vaccine. The Center for Disease Control recommends a yearly flu vaccine is the most important step in protecting against flu and potentially serious complications. Common in fall and winter, usually peaks between December and February, but can last into May. Since flu activity often begins in October, the CDC recommends everyone six months of age and older get the flu vaccine by the end of October. Very contagious respiratory illness caused by viruses called influenza. Runny nose, cough with muscle aches, headache, fatigue, and usually a fever, but not always. Symptoms are mild or severe and can even lead to death. The most common complication is pneumonia, but can also affect heart, muscles, or nervous system. Who's at risk for severe cases? Young children under age five, especially under two, or adults over 65. Those with weak immune systems, with HIV or on chemo. Those with asthma, COPD, diabetes, kidney or liver disease, and those who are obese. Spread? When people with flu cough, sneeze, or talk, they make tiny droplets that land in the mouths and noses of other people within six feet. Or you might touch a surface with virus on it, then touch your own mouth, nose, or eyes. Hand washing, so important. And throw away your dirty tissues. Flu viruses have proteins on the surface which constantly change. Then the virus can mutate. And when a new virus comes along, your immune system doesn't recognize it, and you can even get the flu a second time in one season. This is the main reason why the CDC and World Health Organization update the vaccine each year to keep up with the ever-changing viruses. There are antiviral drugs, Tamiflu for one and others, which can help shorten duration and severity of symptoms. Best if given in the first 24 to 30 hours, not likely to help after 48 hours. So don't delay. Call your doctor. 
divas, be a good little Halloween ghost, and say boo to the flu. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth and you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. The Women to Watch Finance Watch. Hi, this is Maggie, and I'm from Fortis Wealth. Today, we're going to pick up again with Matt Topley, Chief Investment Officer at Fortis Wealth. Welcome back to Women to Watch, Matt. Oh, thanks, Maggie. Thanks for having me on. And many listeners invest through their 401k plans and IRAs. What advice would you give someone who plans to retire, let's say, in the next five years about their allocation? Yeah. If you're retiring in the next four years, or four to five years, you really should be 60-40, if not 50-50 at this point. You really should be taking down your risk. Uh, we've had a great 10-year run here, and uh, you know it's just math that the returns over the next five to 10 years won't be as good as the past 10 years. Uh, traditionally, uh, your returns, the best way to measure your future returns is your starting point, and, and we are at pretty high valuations for stocks right now. So you want to take some risk off the table, be 60-40 or 50-50 if you're retiring in the next five years. Um, getting back to maybe um, you know, what clients seem to be nervous about, they seem to be concerned about next year's presidential election and the impact on the markets. Do you think they should be? Uh, I think they should be really concerned as citizens and patriots and and uh, as as intellectually involved as humanly possible. But as long term investors, they should turn off all the news regarding politics as hard as that is for people to believe. Uh, it's the only blood sport we have a 150 year tie on. We have an exact same return number for when Democrats are in in uh, the presidential seat as Republicans in the presidential seat, and we can easily send you that information. So I think they should be really concerned, the citizens, as investors, I think they should try to ignore the political news and concentrate on their long-term goals and saving as much money as possible. That's great advice. And you can learn more about investing in the markets from Matt by visiting his blog, matttopley.com, M-A-T-T-T-O-P-L-E-Y.com. This is Maggie, and on behalf of Terry, peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Welcome back. I'm having a wonderful conversation with Allie Perlman, the executive director of Philadelphia 3.0, which is a nonprofit um, committed to reforming politics here in Philadelphia. And um, just before the break, we were talking about your coming back from L.A. and getting your Ph.D. at Penn in communications. And I read about your dissertation. I wanted you to talk about it. Yep. So my dissertation investigated the ways that the ways that political candidates, um, principally candidates for president, use their personal tastes or at least the presentation of their personal taste in an effort to create the perception that they are sort of like 
an everyday person, the common man, et cetera, as in a way of if it's done right, effectively, you know, inoculating against the fact that they have reached to be competitive candidates for president. They've reached you know, like a level of influence and power and access that's open to only like an exceedingly small handful of people. And so, like, how do you counteract that if you're trying to connect with people like, you know, just like regular Americans all the time? And it's by demonstrating that you like a lot of the same things that they like. And my dissertation focused on um, a number of ways in which candidates use sort of like diner culture writ large, like the way that food and everyday stuff gets mobilized in an effort to create a persona to build those connections um, that is sort of like a countervailing force against the fact that, um, you know, if you're a U.S. senator or whatever, you're you're probably like a um, you lead a, a kind of life that looks very different than most people. Yeah. So in doing that, when they're using all of these tools to create a persona, isn't that false? Um, I don't know, because, you know, the person is still the person underneath. You know, being a politician, it's just the weirdest job. It's just the weirdest job. Um, but you don't, even if you're really, really good at the politics, you don't stop being in some core core ways who you always have been. And... um. And so I think in some respects, it's sort of like liberating for these folks to be able to say, like, you see me in this light, but actually this is who I am. But for others, it's, you know, it's like totally farcical. It's just like they were never that person in the first place. Right. And that, you know, for, um, you know, voters, it's hard to, to kind of get to the truth sometimes because you're wondering as, you know, um, they're out there campaigning. Is is what I'm seeing who they truly are or is it, you know, an yeah. act to yeah. get the votes? Yeah. And right? I think, you know, I think it's so interesting because um, there's this presumption that authenticity is like universally legible to people. But it's like everything else. We're inclined to believe the people who say things that we agree with. We're inclined to believe that those people are more authentic and that it's folks that we disagree with who we we view with a level of skepticism and cynicism. Um, but it's the, le- the, the thing that the person is performing has an audience, like an audience in mind. And as long as it's legible to that audience, I think it works. Hmm. So um, tell me how you were approached to lead Philadelphia 3.0. So I was at that point coming out of uh, just over a year and a half working in city council on legislative matters for then city council person Bill Green, who resigned from council to run what was the SRC. And, uh, you know, I'd had some experiences in city council, you know, came to understand a bit about how it worked, what worked, more importantly, what didn't work. And um, I was approached by some folks who were um, civic and business leaders in the city who had for years kind of questioned why Philly seemed politically stuck. And it seemed like in a lot of cases you could, like the easy answer would be to point at like, m- like the mayor's not performing adequately, but, th- but 
I don't think that's the case. And they don't, they agreed that that wasn't the case, that the core problem was city council. And so I was seven and a half months pregnant and I was provided with an opportunity to um, help build this thing. And as a function of the fact that I saw that there, frankly, needed to be like a different caliber of person in city council, I was extremely excited about the opportunity to see if I could help um, make some of that happen. So it was, am I right, it was launched in 2014? The way end of 2014. Okay. I was brought on in August of that year, had a kid in October, and then we launched officially the following year. So um, the organization focuses on good government and reform. What can Mm -hmm. you share with us that you have seen that's positive, that has changed? In Philadelphia? In Philadelphia. Um, You know, I think that there are a couple, there are a couple of things that, to my mind, I look to as signs that we're moving in the right direction. So number one, um, this May, for the first time, a challenger running against a longtime city council district incumbent won. And it might not seem um, like so revolutionary that like a challenger could beat an incumbent, but this was the first time it happened since 1995. And... It's a sign of a broken system that it hadn't happened since 1995. But the fact that it happened to me suggests that people are, that voters are really interested in having um, credible challengers on the ballot. I would also point to the fact that there is, there's a renewed interest among folks who are politically active, um, but maybe almost come to politics through like civic and neighborhood activism who are really interested in finding a way to rebuild our local political parties from the grassroots and make them more democratic. Okay. I want to talk more about this when we come back. Uh, Stay with us for Mary Manzo for our Tech Watch and Hanadi Shahabuddin for Diversity. We'll be right back. This is the Women to Watch. Diversity Watch. Diversity Watch. To be interested on something is a huge deal, no matter what the object is. The minute you accept that task, it becomes your responsibility to hand it over to its owner intact. Today's ethic is trustworthiness. Before he was a prophet, Muhammad was the honest and trustworthy. He was known among his friends and enemies for having these two qualities. Trustworthiness is not just in keeping things safe until return to owner, but it's also preserving a certain function or accomplishing a specific action. Staying on track at work is trustworthiness. Giving an honest advice is trustworthiness. Prescribing the right medication is trustworthiness. Holding ourselves accountable for the knowledge that we have and deliver it when we're asked is also a form of trustworthiness. But the most important of all trusts, according to Muslims, is the one that humans agreed to bear when God offered them to take on the acts of worship. Verse 72 in chapter 33 in the Quran explains that God has offered the trust to other creations, but they refused to accept it. But human being accepted it. Little did we know, says the verse. For Muslims, this trust is to use what we were given to fulfill the commands and perform the acts of worship. Our trustworthiness is defined by using our hand, body, words, and actions for the good and betterment of our communities. The prophets Muslims believe in delivered the message they were entrusted on. The last message, according to Muslim, is the Quran. Intact, one copy around the world, read and memorized exactly the way it was recited 1400 years ago. Today, it's up to each and every individual to live up to the beautiful ethics that this book talks about. 
Some of us are doing a good job and some of us are struggling, but what really matters is to keep trying. For more ethics that Muslims believe in, visit HanadiSpeaksOut.com. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives, and her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso of Pathways Consulting Group. This week, I'll be continuing my series on the impact of social media on the Gen Z girl. For reference, Gen Z is anyone born between 1995 to mid-2000s. Last week, I spoke about the positive aspects of social media, and this week, I'll focus on the negative. When I asked my niece why she thought her generation uses social media, she said to communicate with friends, share information and photos about themselves and others. She told me her and her friends feel it's important to have a social media presence. During my research, I found that girls spend as much as three to four hours on social media a day, and that's a conservative number. I also found that social media creates a lot of anxiety for girls. They worry that friends or family will post an embarrassing photo of them or that their posts will be ignored. Oftentimes, they're the recipient of cyberbullying and harassed by others, which can be damaging to their self-esteem and reputation. Girls often share personal information, which leaves the door open to predators or online scams. In one survey, I saw 85% of girls receive a friend request from strangers and 44% of those girls accept the requests. That's scary. So how do you know when all of this is a problem? If they're spending too much time on social media, they can become disconnected. You may observe a lack of enthusiasm for offline activity like sports, homework, and hobbies. You may find it difficult to hold a conversation with them or their grades may be slipping. If they're the recipient of cyberbullying, you may find their self-esteem has dropped and they're isolating themselves. Sometimes the problem is so drastic they might not want to leave the house or go to school. My advice is to get educated and share this education with children and teenagers. There's some awesome websites out there like reachout.com or kindcampaign.org that provide insight and guidance for adults and the Gen Z. Your local schools will have information too and can help guide you. Some screen time rules at home wouldn't hurt either, and there are ways to enforce these rules without them appearing to be rules. Please get educated on this topic. You'll be shocked what you find. I'm Mary at PathwaysCG.com. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back. I'm speaking to Allie Perlman, who's the executive director of Philadelphia 3.0, a nonprofit committed to reforming politics in Philadelphia. That's a big job. (laughs) Um, Not a one-person job. uh, It's not a (laughs) one-person job. And there's a lot of opinions and and views. And, um, you know, I often say I think there's a big difference between policy and then kind of values and views. And when, you know, when people are coming to talk about one specific policy, how can we make something better in this area, whether it's education or healthcare, um, I think where we always get stuck is that people have different values and what they prioritize. So a couple of questions I have for you around that. What, first of all, what is your, I'll say, philosophy for dealing with people when um, you're looking really to move forward and make positive change, and they're coming at it from a different place. In other words, how how do you have those conversations that are yeah difficult with other folks? I mean, I would say that our our approach 
generally is to build coalitions where we can build them. And what that means in practice is that there, um, and let me give, give you an example. So we, we believe organizationally, and there's a cohort of sort of like civically and politically active folks in Philadelphia who believe as a cohort that we really need to change the way that we run elections in Philadelphia. Like from an administrative perspective, we need to modernize the way that we do things. And there are actually a bunch of different interest groups that come to the table sharing that perspective and for whom, to be honest, that might be like the only perspective that those interest groups share. But that's fine because it means that when we're addressing this one um, controversial topic, we're all largely on the same page and we can work together, even though there might be other largely controversial topics that where we might be on very different sides. And so my instinct around this work is um, to recognize that I'm never going to agree with anyone, maybe like more than 80% of the time, but let's work together where we agree and let's work together in a way where we will be able to work together in the future um, and recognize that it's okay if there are times that we're on different sides of the table. Yeah. Um, I want to share another quote. Um, you said this year presents such an unusual opportunity um, to drive transformative change. Why Why this year? And what is it about it that's that's unusual? Yeah. Um, I'm sort of thinking about it as like we close out 2019 and head into 2020. And um, the closing out 2019 part of this is that what we've... What we've seen thus far in this municipal election cycle, right, we're electing mayor, a mayor, city council members, row offices, is that people really are interested in having alternatives presented who can make a credible case for a vision for the city. And it wasn't sort of like a given that voters would respond to that because they haven't been provided with that kind of opportunity b- before. And so we can make suppositions that they would think it was great. But now we know they think it's great. But then as we head into 2020, what we recognize is um, there's just going to be so much attention paid to politics. And even for people who work in politics, I think there's like a level of dread around the level of attention that's going to be paid to politics. But no one is going to be able to escape it. And I think the opportunity that we're hoping to capture is one in which we can say to folks, you might have come to politics through the presidential election, but stay with politics because of local elections, because those are the elections where the deci- where the outcome of the election is going to directly impact your day-to-day life and the stuff that you mm-hmm. care about. And I feel like building that connection is, we have a better shot of doing it next year just because of the level of heightened interest that I think we all expect to see. Yeah. So um, I should mention, you live in the city. You're in Bella Vista, which is a wonderful area of South Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so you're seeing firsthand all the the moving parts of Mm -hmm. the city. And I'm wondering if there's one cause that's near and dear to your heart when you think about all of the problems, homelessness and education and health care, all of those. Is there one for you that's personal that you say, we really got to fix this? Yeah, I mean, there's stuff that's like so, 
it's interesting. I think that there are a couple of different ways that you can categorize challenges. Homelessness, housing, um, education are structural issues that live not even three dimensions. There are four dimensional problems. Yes, clearly we have to address all of that. Some of like the more everyday stuff, though, is low hanging fruit. And it's like, why why is the city still filthy? And, you know, I'm like a kind of habitual sidewalk sweeper. I am on the board of my neighborhood association and I chair our beautification committee. It's crazy that a lot of this work gets pushed on to neighborhood volunteers, but there are some problems that the city can solve that aren't nearly as challenging mm. as dealing with um, housing affordability. Mm. My goodness, we should just like, let's just take care of it. Yeah. And, and you know what? You're right. When you when you just take care of those little pieces first, that will, you know, uh, just bring about positivity, you know, which I think is um, changing people's mindset. You know, when you think about the city not being clean, well, why does someone throw trash on the sidewalk? Right. That's yeah. really what will change it. But you can't change that mindset right away, So, but you can clean it up. Yep. Right? Listen, we didn't have enough time. I, there were a lot of other questions I had for you, but thanks so much for coming Thank in you and for having sharing me. a little bit about your story. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thank you so much to my sponsors and contributors for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.